Hey everybody, welcome to the Monday edition of Winners and Winers Radio. I am your host, Scott Steen, lead handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Rochelle, senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And together we bring you Winners and Winers Radio every day. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. Scott, did you give yourself some winners this weekend? I did, and I like to believe I gave the general public a couple of winners over the weekend, too, which is always a fun, I'd say, additional step there. But I violated one of my main rules that I feel like both of us agree on, which is don't bet on things just because they're on TV. We had a UFC card over the weekend, and I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that rule, and I'm going to bet on every single UFC fight until I lose. And do you want to guess how many fights I got through? I'm going to guess you didn't watch many fights. I got through seven fights. Oh, is that right? Okay, well, that's not bad. I did. So I actually had a really, really good Saturday. You did really well until we got to the fight we gave out on the show? Uh, Yes, and I (laughs) lost by split decision. But either way, it was a profitable card. Uh, The main event was awful, but I can't say I'm too surprised. But as a whole, yeah, pretty good weekend. How's yours? Not bad at all. We... uh... You know, the I, I kind of fell victim to the same thing you were talking about. I gave out the uh, I gave out a pick on the CFL for one of my plays of the day on uh, on for Saturday night's game, and it didn't go, didn't go well. Yes. You take Toronto or Saskatchewan. I took Saskatchewan. Okay, I took the Rough Riders. They had the established quarterback. They had the offensive system in play. Toronto couldn't decide who they were going to play quarterback even during the game. They kept switching back and forth. The quarterback didn't matter. That was, uh, yeah, all they needed as uh, Saskatchewan not only didn't cover, but they lose. So that could uh, certainly seriously cur- curtail my CFL betting. I'm just kidding. I'm still bad at it. <laughs> Gave it a good run. Yeah, it was fun. But yeah, other than that, we saw, well, you know, we saw uh, Garth Brooks on Saturday night. So that was a, that was a good show. He puts on, he puts on a good show. Uh, 70,000 people there, so keeping my fingers crossed for about four or five days here that everybody stays safe and healthy. But, uh, yeah, other than that, it was a good time. So let's find out, Scott, who didn't have the best of times. Let's see who maybe didn't have quite a great weekend. Thought they had a winner, and then they didn't. Nothing worse than a bad beat to start your week off, Scott. So let's get it out of the way. It's time for Call the Cops. All right, we will start. I know this is going to be no shocker. We're going to start in the major leagues. How about that? It's a Friday game. By the way, we have one game from each day. That's kind of cool. This is a Friday game, Scott. The Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs. If you had the under eight and a half, man, you were looking good after seven innings. The Sox, well, they scored uh, they scored two runs in the top of the eighth. It was two to one after seven, by the way. Sox scored two in the top of the eighth to go up four to one. And here comes Craig Campbell, Scott. Remember him? He's supposed to be a pretty decent year. He's supposed to be good this year. Remember, he was much better, much improved. Mm-hmm. Well, he remembered to give out. Uh, he remembered how to give up three run homers at Wrigley Field. He did. He had, that was a skill that he did not forget because that's exactly what he did in the bottom of the eighth. That game's tied four to four. And since it wasn't the Cubs Pirates game in 2016, where they actually ended up playing to a tie because it was the last game of the season. And no one cared. But this was not going to end in a tie. So you knew your bet was already beat when it was 4-4. Four to four. And uh, just to add on insult to injury, so some 10th inning shenanigans. Final score, it went from 2-1 to one after 7 to 8-6 to six after 10. Congratulations, you had the under 8.5. That game was at 14. What are you doing? Wasn't even close. But yet, you can call the cops. And the second call the cops was on Saturday in a match between the Giants and the Brewers. Brewers were winning 2-1 to one going into the ninth. Giants ended up tying the game. Then the Giants scored three runs in the top of the 10th. So if you're checking the math there, the Giants are up 5-2. to two. All you need is Milwaukee to score less than two runs in the bottom of the 10th. And that didn't happen because Milwaukee ended up scoring three runs to tie the game in the bottom of the 10th. And then the Giants scored more runs in the 11th. The Brewers scored one more in the 11th. Game ended 9-6. to six. So kind of a similar script to the White Sox-Cubs game on Friday. Yep. Except they blew the lead in the ninth inning. 
right. instead of the eighth inning. Yep. So I guess this one's a little worse. It is three runs going into the going into the ninth, and you end up with fifteen. Yeah. It's not exactly fun for under eight and a half better. No, that's brutal. It was yeah, it was it it was an inning later, same score, two to one, and they end up scoring one more run in fifteen versus fourteen. So that's a pair of really bad beats there. Where if you looked at them on the surface. You would wonder why they're on this segment, because they don't seem to fit. But again, they absolutely do. And finally, Scott, a game just yesterday is the Red Sox on the money line. If you had that, well, finally, it looked like the Red Sox were going to break through and pick up a game against the Blue Jays. Uh, they were up 8-6 in the ninth inning. But what do the Blue Jays do, Scott? They hit uh, they hit a lot of, uh, what do you call them when they go out of the park? Bombs. Yeah, they do. And they hit another one in the ninth. Who hit that, by the way? Do you know? Springer. Exactly. He's good to see. He is uh, back and raking. Three-run walk-off, bottom of the ninth. See you later. Enjoy your flight back to Boston because you have lost 9-8. to eight. And if you had the Red Sox on the money line, time for you to call the cops. We're going to talk about Boston a little bit later on the show, but that yeah. team... Not exactly playing good baseball right now. No, they're playing the kind of baseball that a lot of people anticipated they would play the entire season. So, yep. Well, Scott, the opposite of the call of the cops. These are the good, the feel good games, if you will. These are the ones where you had a nice, easy victory. You could maybe cross off a couple things from that honeydew list over the weekend because you just didn't have to sweat your games. You know why? Because you were sitting in the rocking chair. So, the first one took place in the afternoon. If you were watching the Phillies and Mets game and you had the Phillies money line, you were in good shape the entire way because the Phillies scored two runs in the first inning. Zach Wheeler on the mound, and he was really, really good because the Mets ended up recording two hits in the entire game. Wheeler with the complete game shutout. Phillies won 3-0. Zach Wheeler going to win the Cy Young, Scott? He, I'll tell you what, Philly's got a lot of traction with both the Cy Young Award and the MVP Award because it seems like Harper and Wheeler have all the momentum and it doesn't seem like anybody else is in their way with a lot of people being injured right now. Yep, that's the danger of locking up those awards. You can, and obviously, if you can do it in May and June, you get a great prize if everything works out. But man, you get, especially with a pitcher, you get, you get injuries and stuff and all of a sudden, poof, that's gone. So... Trout's gone. T- Tatis per- is gone. Personally, vote for Gaussman. Yeah. Um, yeah. De- I, I was going to say, I would personally vote for Gaussman over Wheeler if I had a vote. For the MVP, I can understand Harper, but Wheeler has been very good lately. The first half of the year wasn't, I'd say, Cy Young, I'd say, worthy. I would still pick Gaussman over him. I don't know where you stand, but I think Wheeler's top three. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's really going to come down to the, the last. What do we got now, Scott? A month and a half of the season, roughly? Yeah, a month and change. So I think they're going to have eight more starts, roughly, probably in that neighborhood, eight to nine starts. So, yeah, we'll see what their final body of work will be. But those are your, definitely your two front runners right there. Two guys you probably wouldn't have expected to be your front runners at this point, huh? Uh, Yeah, I I, I think Gaussman's the bigger surprise, of course. Yeah. We were got paid that huge contract. Right. People expect him to be good. But props to the Phillies, though. They got their They got their stuff together. Absolutely do. Well, Scott, if you had the Mariners-Yankees under nine, uh, yeah, that was a good play. You had zero runs through the first seven. And because it's on this segment and not the one before, you know what's coming. Absolutely nothing. Mariners scored two runs in the eighth, and that was it. Yankees, another fantastic performance by that high-powered offense. Mariners in that one, two zip. If you had the under nine in that game, you were sitting in the rocking chair. And the last one was between the Marlins and the Rockies. If you had the over 11, first of all, props to you because you took an over with the Marlins game and a total is at 11. So, you know, you clearly thought you knew something and you did because you had four runs in the first inning, four runs in the second inning, four runs in the fourth inning. That's already 12, so you can cash that ticket. But for fun, they ended up scoring 21 combined runs, 13 to 8 final, never in doubt on the over 11. Yep, finally one of those games at Coors Field playing like a game at Coors Field. Absolutely correct. Well, Scott, we had a we had a bit of a discussion about who would win our next award. Couple it, options. It was uh it was kind of touch and go. There was there was a couple of good options. That was absolutely correct. But I think we absolutely have the correct winner. Let's find out who's gonna strap on the golden feed bag today, shall we? And let's reveal Monday's Donkey of the Day. 
Sweet, sweet music, Scott. I'll let you, uh, well, no, I'll, I'll take this one. This is a, uh, maybe you saw this story. <laughs> Green Bay wide receiver Devin Funches walked into a press conference, good-naturedly joking with the attendees, with the press that was there. He said, I can tell you guys are smiling because they all had masks on because you have. And then he used a racial slur for a, an Asian person to describe their eyes. I'm not laughing because the statement itself is funny. I'm I'm laughing because it is hard to believe in this day and age that someone is that stupid that would go up and use uh, an incredibly racist term to describe someone. And I what's what's the end game there, Scott? I mean, I know he was going for the joke, but this is 2021, brother. This ain't 1968 or 1964. We don't, uh, yeah. We can't. We can't do that anymore. Definitely not his brightest moment. No. Uh, definitely putting it lightly as a whole. Yeah, it's just stupid. I mean, there's not really much else to add. It wasn't oh, like he's somebody, a whole, all right. It wasn't like somebody <laughs> asked him a question that could have hypothetically have <laughs> no. led him to say something. It was completely just out of the blue. So he can't even blame it on a reporter. Of course, under no circumstance should you say a swore of any kind, but. It wasn't even like he was backed into a corner. He just decided, I'm going to come out swinging. Going for the joke. Going for the going for the yucks right off the bat. Pulling out the uh, pulling out the big gun, Scott? I read somewhere that it's not racist if the punchline's funny. I don't know if that's <laughs> accurate or not, but uh, I funches learned the hard way. That is not true. Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely brutal. Well, Scott... We, uh, you know, and we kind of, we kind of didn't talk about this before, but is there, was there any game yesterday? Oh, wait, I, I got to do it. Let's, let's, I'm going to do the sound effects. Was there any game yesterday, Scott, where it appeared the odds makers were drunk? Uh, well, I'll sure. let you go first because you prepared that fantastic sound effect. Well, that's really all I did. Yep. Th that's the, that's the end of my preparation. That still counts. Does it count? I think it does. All but right. Anyway, uh, just to answer that, to actually look through some of the games yesterday, it was a pretty chalky weekend for baseball. A lot of the bad teams, well, they stayed bad because a lot of them got killed. But if you had to look at, I'd say, much of the odds makers, I would actually look at a total in okay. this one. It's going to be a game yesterday between the Padres and the Diamondbacks. Total is eight and a half. You had Bumgarner and Snell on the mound and the total is eight and a half. Now I know Snell has been bad throughout the season. He was really good against Oakland in his last start. And Bumgarner has been pretty solid since he came off the IL eight and a half at Petco with the Diamondbacks offense and San Diego's offense with no Tatis eight and a half there with those two pitchers. That does seem a little bit high, doesn't it? It does. It does Scott, but I, I, and, and the game ended up two zip as yep. Bumgarner pitched well. Blake Snell pitched really well. You know, we've been pretty anti-Blake Snell on this show ever since he was traded to the Padres, so we'll have to if give there him. Was a buy, if there was ever a buy sign on Snell, it was probably after the Oakland start. Yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. It looks like, because he was hurt for a while, and then he came back, looks like maybe whatever was whatever was ailing him uh, ended up being pretty good, and it ended up uh, getting taken care of and making him much better. I'm looking, you know, and it's this is kind of a different one. I'm just looking at the Dodgers minus three fifty four against against the Angels. Now in the Friday night game, uh, yeah, on the on the on the uh, no, that was the that was a, the Sunday game against uh, Detmers. Oh, okay. You're saying it should have been nine hundred? Yeah, I'm saying it should have been nine hundred. No, you know that's just the, that's just a really high total when it sticks out like that. But of course, the Angels. We're starting Detmers, and you know he was certainly an unproven commodity, and they teed off on him, so they got away with it. But it's just, I would have been tempted there with the Angels because the Angels played them tight. They win, they win the first game of that series. I'm just not sure they were a three and a half to one dog there. So, all right, That's fair. all right, fair enough. You know, uh, I want you guys to qu quick reminder: you are listening to Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. Now all you got to do is give us 45 minutes, man. So yeah, time is time is cruising, my friend, and. It's a uh, let's talk, Scott. 
I don't know. I hate to, I this is some of this stuff, it's uh when you see the difference in the classes, because they put the they put twenty one guys, or they, excuse me, they put nineteen guys, right? Six, I believe twelve so. and seven. But, I lose I lose track of all the numbers. Yeah, they put tw- they put nineteen guys in the Hall of Fame over the weekend. So Peyton Manning, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, obviously, of the nineteen, would we agree he was the best? Yeah, I think you make an argument. He's a top two, if not a. I wouldn't say he's the best quarterback of all time because I feel like nobody would put him ahead of Brady. But I think he's definitely top five minimum, top three ceiling. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Do you think Breeze belongs in that list? By the way, I mean, uh, okay. yeah. You think Breeze top five? Yeah. Stats wise, you can make a case. Oh sure. I, I I wouldn't put him there, but I think people would make a case. Okay. You? No, I uh, no, I wouldn't either. I was just wondering if you did. No, I'm I'm I totally agree with that. That he would certainly statistically. He's easily top ten. I just wouldn't put him top five. Agreed. Agreed. So, who was the second best, Scott? And well, by the way, why was there so much difference between 2020 and 2021? Uh, I don't know. It depends on what year the person retired. I guess I'm not even sure. <laughs> I just meant in the qual- up, I just meant in the quality of the of the players. It seemed like there was a lot better class in 2021 with the seven. I mean, so I mean, yes, the, it was the I don't even know who to pick as the best. I guess Troy Polamalu would be the best of the 2020 guys. Harold Car- Harold Carmichael was very good. He had the uh, you know the the streak for games with a catch, with whatever it was. I know very it's been, tall guy. It's been it was a very tall guy for especially for that day and age. It's been broken since. So I'd have to say that, in my opinion, I would say Troy, Troy Palomalo was probably the best of the 2020 class. But Scott, who was the second best of the 19 after Manning of the 18 that are left? Who was the second best in your opinion? Well, I think you have a discussion between Palomalo and Calvin Johnson. I think those are your main two. As a whole, it's really, really tough because both of them were all-time great players at their respective position. I think you'd agree it's probably harder to be an all-time great at wide receiver because you've had so many great wide receivers in the past that to separate yourself into the upper echelon is probably more difficult than separating yourself at safety. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Probably, yes. Based on sheer quantity. Yeah. So, oh boy. I'd probably go Polamalu. Okay. Just because of the fact that even though I can blame Elvin for not winning a title and for not winning a playoff game with Detroit and everything like that, Polamalu, I don't want to say he single-handedly carried Pittsburgh to a Super Bowl or two, but it felt that way at times. He was just everywhere at the same time. And I know that Calvin was unguardable, and I get that. I'm going Polamalu because he is on the short list for me for greatest safety of all time. I'm trying to think of who else you'd put ahead of him besides maybe Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott. Well, here's the deal. See, he played kind of a weird little hybrid position. He wasn't wasn't necessarily a classic safety. Like, there was two really good safeties that went in in 2021, and that was Woodson and John Lynch. Yeah. Two guys that could absolutely bring the heat, especially Lynch. Very few guys... Harder, I put a question mark on Woodson because he also played corner, but I see your point. Right, right, and and did the return thing. So you know, if you if you give credit for versatility, you could put Woodson on that list. It's hard to, for me. It's going to be Calvin Johnson. I just think he was the the dominant player at that position. I'm not going to argue with you on Calvin because he's one of my all time favorite players. But on a short list of best safeties of all time, is Paul Malu in the top three? I think he is. You're looking at Ronnie Lott. You're looking at Ed Reed. And you're looking at Steve Atwater. I'm not. I'm just not sure for me. The thing that I have with Calvin that I think also plays a bit of a factor is that when I'm trying to also put him in that wide receiver all time rankings, I think he's probably lower down than Paul Amalu is at his respective position because you still have Jerry Rice. You still have Randy Moss. Oh no question. Have, uh, I'm trying to think if I'd put T.O. ahead of Calvin. I probably would. But you have a lot of other options. Safety, Polamalu's on a short list that I just think of immediately. Uh, safety, Polamalu. Like he's he's it kind of just goes right into it, don't you think? Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's fair enough. I it's you know it's hard to argue like oh well, no he sucked. You know, this is just, yeah, we're comparing two all time greats. Right, but, just kind of one of those barroom discussion sorts of things. You know, as a side note, it must suck. I mean, other than the obvious reasons, but it must really suck 
to be a Detroit Lions fan because you get these guys that are just top five all time at their position in, in their at their position in Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, and both of them bail early on their careers. Yeah, but now you have a coach who just drinks a ton of coffee. Did you, you see? Did you conference? see the stats on that about how many cups of coffee that because he drinks? What is, he, is it Red Bulls or what is he? There was some debate, though, because some people didn't actually understand, I guess, the Starbucks coffee sizes. That's right. It's, it's been around for about 20 years, and people still don't know the sizes for coffee. They, they don't drink coffee. I don't know. I know they have a, a, a I know they have Vente. I don't even know what that That's is. That's the point, though. They have a large. Okay. They have a Vente. Can we just call it small, medium, large? Yeah. Can you just get off your high horse God for bless a second? You. But yes. Anyway, there were some rumors going around that Campbell either has 40 ounces of coffee or 80. And nobody really could tell what she was referring to, but he basically likes to drink two extremely large cup of coffees every morning. And that was kind of what made news because everyone looked at each other and said, how are you still alive? Shouldn't your heart have stopped beating like a couple of days, like, you know, years ago, if you drink that much coffee, but that's what the lines have to look forward right now. So good luck to you. So at least it will be, uh, (laughs) He, at least he will be entertaining, Scott. A lot of clapping on the sideline, worst case scenario. I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. Uh, they're going to be bad, but maybe he'll be pretty energetic on the sidelines. Fair enough. Fair enough, indeed. So, Scott, kind of a sad note this weekend, and uh, one of the really titans of college football coaching passed over uh, over the weekend on Saturday, Bobby Bowden. He was 91. He has the second most D1 wins in NCAA history, Scott, behind, dare we speak his name, Joe Paterno, Paterno, of course. So ranks him ahead of Bear Bryant, who is just ahead of Pop Warner. Who's uh, Who's on your Rushmore of football coaches, Scott? Well, I'm going to ask you, am I going to take personal issues into account, or am I looking solely at the football field? Because Paterno has to be on there if you're only looking at football. He has to be on that list. It's a tough call. And I think you'd agree with me. It's a tough call. That's why I asked you first. No, I th- uh, personally, I'm for the sake of this, I'm going to ignore the personal issues. I'm going to look solely in between the roughly 218 yards of football field. Paterno's on the list. You got Bowden on the list. You got Saban on the list. And probably bear Brian. You not, not a bad list, not a bad list. So the guys it that wouldn't surprise me if you don't include Paterno, but if you're looking at just solely with the amount of wins and since they got reinstated at the end, I believe it's really hard not to include the guy with the most wins in the history of the sport. Well, the major league baseball hall of fame doesn't seem to have a hard time doing that it. is definitely <laughs> true, but I think they should all be in the hall of fame too. So, well, I, yeah, I think for, for our standpoint, you got to put Paterno on the list. If you're actually making a new Mount Rushmore with four college football coaches, there's no way his face is getting yes, on there. No chance at all. But from a theoretical, whatever they did on the sidelines only, Paterno is one of the first names you got to mention. I don't know if you would agree with me with Bear Bryant, but I feel like he's the one who you can make an argument from a wins perspective. There are other options, right? But I got to go with him for the titles. Saban's a given. Uh, Bowden, I think you can make an argument against, but he, he was around for so long. The longevity angle is just so huge. But yeah. those are my people. Those are the, my four choices. You Coach, have- 33 years at Florida State. Long time, man. A long time. That is a, a long time indeed. Do you have any names you I think, switch with? I think, my names, I think my list is going to be the same. I, I, I hate this, but I just don't know how you, you get away from Paterno, Bowden, Bryant. And um, Saban. Saban, yeah, I just I just don't know how you do it. Now, let me ask you, Scott Saban, does he have a chance to to catch these guys by any chance? He's, he's at two fifty six. If he can get ten a year for how long? Could he get there? Could he? Could he I coach? Would say no. Could he coach? Because I don't, I think Saban's going to get bored. You think so? I it takes so much commitment to stay with one school when you're getting offers from everywhere else. Well, the other period of time. The other thing Bobby Bowden did is he coached till he was eighty. Yeah, till they were, or eighty. It was seventy, seventy-nine or eighty. Whenever, whenever they actually when that he quit in there. So, 
Yeah. I just don't. I don't see Saban coach until eighty. Do you? No, I, I don't exactly know how old Saban is right now. How old is he? Is he in his sixties yet, or he's still in his late fifties? I want to say he's barely sixty. No, Scott, I lied. He is sixty-nine. No, excuse me, he is seventy. He will be seventy in October on on Halloween. Well, he looks great for his age because I he, thought he was in his late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. But I don't see him sticking around till he's eighty or ninety. No, I, no, I was I was like you. I I was thinking. I was thinking probably early 60s, 61, 62, that he might have yeah, a shot to go 15 more years. But no, okay. I with, The question is uh, withdrawn, Your Honor. I, I think that Saban's obviously the best Alabama coach of all time. I think he's easily passed Bear Bryant at this point. But I don't think he's going to get there in terms of wins, in terms of titles. He's going to be pretty tough to beat. Yep, agreed. All right, so Scott, we did. Uh, we promised everybody we'd come back and talk about the Red Sox, and I know they're they're waiting with bated breath for that. But the Red Sox, the Mets, ah, uh, Scott, to be just turn back the clock to two weeks ago when everything was going great for both of those teams, and now they are not. They have gone from first place to second place, and it doesn't look like the bottom is coming anytime soon based on their play over the weekend. Either one of these teams likely to get it back together? Do you think you think somebody writes the ship, woes it up, and gets it turned around? Well, there's two ways to look at it. Because on one hand, the Mets are clearly the less talented team in comparison to Boston, but they're in the significantly worst division. So if you want to talk about getting it back together, a lot of that has to do with the, the other teams in your division and how well they're going to be playing down the stretch. That's why Boston might have problems, because you have the – Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays playing really, really well at the same time. Having said that, you still have Chris Sale coming back, so maybe that'll provide a little bit of help. I don't want to say the Mets are done. It looks really, really bad. And the main reasons because of the strength of schedule remaining. You're looking at Phillies. They have the easiest schedule. The Braves have the fourth, fourth easiest schedule. The Mets, I believe, have the fourth hardest schedule moving forward. And we know for a fact the Mets have no shot at a wild card spot, so it's division or bust. I think the writing's on the wall for the Mets. It's just a spot where the offense stinks. The Grum's out indefinitely. They don't even know if he's coming back for September or not. The Mets had a lot of signs with the awful offense all year long that they might have been overachieving up to this point. But I really have a hard time backing a team when you're one game over on the season and you're 12 under on the road. You're only good at City Field. That's it. We've mentioned in the past that the bullpen falls apart on the road as well. Right. Alonzo can't at the ball. You have a bunch of injuries at the shortstop position. Baez got injured. Uh, Lindor's still out. I just think it's too much to overcome. I think the Mets are done. I think Boston could potentially rally for a wild card spot. I think Tampa's going to win the division. But if I had to pick which team do I think has a better chance of getting it back together, probably Boston because I think the I think that they're just more talented you yeah I think the Mets without DeGrom I mean what does he miss five starts now probably yeah he's gonna miss a lot more than that if you think he even comes back at all well but, I mean if, if if he goes four and one in those five starts you know there's your three game lead there, there's you your... know how many shortstops or players that are playing shortstop are currently injured for the Mets four correct you're missing okay. Lindor, you're missing Baez, you're missing Guillaume, and you're missing somebody else. But the point is, is that if you traded for Baez and he's already injured and you're still missing Lindor and your team as of right now still cannot hit the ball, you might see some ineptitude levels that are only rivaled in Pittsburgh. Like, it's, it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it is really bad. And, and, you know, you talk about that being the worst division, but the Phillies and the Braves are play, playing, well. playing good baseball right now. So, yeah, I, I would agree. I think Boston has the harder road. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets miss the playoffs completely. Yeah, uh, Boston can miss the playoffs too, but it's it's a situation where they – I'd say that they've been playing badly, but they've also gone up against Toronto in Canada, and Toronto's been really, really good ever mm -hmm. since they returned to Canada about a week and a half ago. So maybe Boston can pick it up against some weaker opposition. It's the same argument about the Mets, but – when the lineup is so bad, you can lose to anybody at any time. Boston can at least pretend to hit the ball, you know? But they have flashes. They have guys that you can rely on. Right. If Alonzo's not mashing home runs, 
Who does this team actually have? Absolutely nobody is pretty much the correct answer right there. So, Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? Appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than a turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work for winners and winners? What's winners and winners? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, football, college football. We know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, 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 but they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers. They're great handicappers. You mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and winners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and winners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winnersandwinners.com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see, that wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I didn't I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. Seriously, dude, It's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them... Oh, man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously, though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. everybody welcome back to the second half hour the second half hour this second half yes the second half the second half hour yes, that is it is the second half hour but it is the second half of winners and winners radio give us an hour and we'll give you the winners and scott speaking of winners we're all winners because the nfl pretty much kicks off pun intended in full force this weekend we got a little Mm, a little sousant, a little appetizer, if you will, last Thursday. It ended up being undercooked and terrible, but we're hoping the main course is a lot better this upcoming weekend. So we're going to take a look at the divisions as we go this week. We're going to start off in the AFC East and the NFC East today, Scott. Do you have a particular one you'd like to start with? you want to start with your Cowboys there in the NFC, or you want to talk about the AFC East? I'll let you call it. I'll go with the AFC first. All right. You have picked the AFC. So what do you got, my friend? I like Buffalo. Okay, good I like them over on the win total. I know we talked about that as soon as the actual schedules were released a couple of months, about a month or two ago. And that line has gone from around 10 and a half to 11 market wide. I know Josh Allen just got paid uh, over the weekend. He's making a boatload of money, which he arguably deserves because the quarterback market is so insane that you have to pay your star quarterbacks as much money as you can. Pay that man his money. I'm assuming you agree with the contract. It's not like you really had much of a choice if you're Buffalo. No, you got to, you got to keep Josh Allen happy. Yeah. Totally agree. And I think, what, Scott, three or four years, that deal for Pat Mahomes is going to look pretty good? Yeah, I'd say so. And the fact that Mahomes is probably going to own about 45 sports franchises, so it's going to look pretty good on his angle too. But looking at Buffalo, this team's just really good, and the coaching staff's really good. I'm trying to figure out a real flaw with this team, and I really have a hard time finding one. This team is just really solid top to bottom. You make an argument that Rushing game. easily is a distraction and how you have to wonder about all that stuff and maybe if there's going to be a COVID issue. But, of course, that's a little bit unpredictable. As a whole, though, I just think that Buffalo getting Emmanuel Sanders as well is a nice boost to the receiving core. 
You know, Allen's good. Yeah, the ground game is still. There's four. There's four weeks of good numbers. Yeah, the the ground game's still a bit of a concern, which I guess is the main Achilles heel for this team. Yeah, but even defensively, teams just good. Like, do you really have much you can complain about? I think McDermott's a very solid coach. I think Gable's a tremendous offensive coordinator who's kind of in the same boat as your situation in Kansas City, where you have a great offensive coordinator. And for some reason, he's still there when nobody thought he was going to still be there. I think Buffalo is really, really good. And you're looking at Miami. I still have questions about Tua. I think that there could be some issues there. You'll get New England. We both don't think Cam Newton has anything left. Or if he does, it's very minimal. I think Buffalo is going to win the division because I just think top to bottom, they are the most complete team in the league, uh, in the uh, AFC, sorry. And probably, in my opinion, the second best team in the AFC. I think they're better than I think they're better than Baltimore. You? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I definitely think they are a better team than Baltimore. I think they're more consistent, and I really like what they did in the draft on the defensive side. Now, having said that, leaving the running back situation unattended. Well, they picked up Matt Breida. I'm not sure how much he has. I'm sure, he'll stay healthy for two games. Well, I'm not sure how much he has left in the in the tank. I'm not, I'm not sure how much of a system runner he was there in San Francisco. Is he? Had, you know, he had a couple of good seasons, but. Uh, I like I like Rousseau out of out of Miami. I think he was a monster, and I've always been a big fan of Boogie Basham coming out of Wake Forest. He didn't get a lot of pub because he played for Wake Forest, but I think he could be one of the steals of the second round. Do you think Ed Oliver is one of the most underrated interior defensive linemen in the league? Yeah, probably. Although that is a that is a position that tends to lend itself to having underrated and underappreciated players because a of lot of course I'm just saying Ed Oliver really really good. Yeah, those guys are sucking up double teams and, and and occupying blockers and letting the other guys you know they're they're true selfless players that are sacrificing for the good of the team. Uh, I think what the main thing I like about Buffalo is the fact that even if this team let's just say struggles a bit more than anticipated, what's their floor? Ten wins, eleven wins? Yeah. Yeah, I think 10, 10 wins would be the absolute floor for that team. And what's the floor for Miami and New England? Oh, like sub-500. Yeah, seven? Seven, seven, like, and t- seven and 10, I would think. Seven and 10. One of those teams, I think, will go seven and 10 or worse. I agree. So, but, uh, who's Buffalo's it, who, just so consistent. Who, I'm going with Buffalo. Who's it more likely to be, Scott? Who, finish, who finishes in second? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, Is it the Jets? Well, the Jets are given the pretty much the favorites to come in last by a wide margin. And I actually think that they had a great off season. Uh, I think that Salah is a very good hire. I think Zach Wilson should be good. Of course, he might struggle a bit as a rookie, which is anticipated. We both, everyone knows the jets to have a good year need to win like seven games. I think that's considered a good year for the jets. So. Well, you're, you're a jets fan. You can speak to that. What would make you happy? They have, they don't have to go 500. I think as long as they don't embarrass themselves and they win a game before week 16, I'd feel pretty good about my chances or week 15 about, you know, at least the, the framework being set for the future. But as a whole, I'm looking at a situation where the jets are probably going to come in last, but as long as they don't embarrass themselves, I I'll be fine with it. As for the question you asked me between the dolphins and new England, I might surprise you here. I'm not trying to go with, I'm going to go with Miami. Okay. Because New England wasn't good last year, but they had a bunch of guys opt out from the defense. And right. That's a big reason why the defense fell apart. A lot of those guys are back, and we know Belichick is still a genius when it comes to in-game management and stuff like that. I think New England could end up winning eight games or so. Miami, if Tua's actually going to struggle, they could fall apart. So I know most people would pick New England to finish worse just because of the fact that Miami's got more upside. I really just trust Belichick at the end of the day, but I do think Newton's going to hold them back for making the playoffs. I think New England probably goes around eight and nine. I think Miami, if Tua struggles as bad as we think he might, they could really fall apart because Miami has not been there before New England has. Got a sneaky good defense, though. They do. Uh, It's not even sneaky. They just have a good defense. True. So, and by the way, I I didn't touch on at the beginning, the odds – at least according to bet online, as far as to win the division is Buffalo minus 150 plus 340 for the uh, Dolphins and the Patriots, and then plus 1800 for the Jets. So, am I Not just bad. am I throwing away my money on anybody but the Buffalo Bills? I think if you want to take a flyer, you can go with New England if you think that with an actual an actual defense with people who did not opt out this season that they could maybe find a way to overtake Buffalo. 
I don't see it. Buffalo is minus 150 on DraftKings. I'm sure you could shop around and find maybe a minus 130, mm-hmm. but you're not going to find much better value because of the fact that I think we'd all agree that after Buffalo made it to the AFC title game, I feel like a lot of it's just internal confidence. Once you've already gotten that far, nothing's really going to scare you, especially in division moving forward. Buffalo confirmed last year that this team was legit. And I think we'd agree that there's no team that's even close in this division. Uh, I would, I would agree with that for sure. Um, I think new England is going to be an under machine. Uh, that would not surprise me either. They, they have no receiving core at all. They have no receiving core. They have a weak quarterback, and they have a fantastic defense, or what should be a fantastic defense if everybody plays up to the, the level that they did in 2019. So There might be a reason why I think New England's going to be somewhat, I don't want to say underrated, but I think there's a chance they might surprise a couple of people. It's because of the fact that if the offense embraces the fact that Cam Newton can't throw, and they just play sole field position style of football, kind of like a Rex Ryan Jets team where you acknowledge your offense stinks, but if you dominate time possession, you control the line of scrimmage and you let your defense do your thing, you might find a way to win a a decent amount of games. You might not deserve to win where Miami, if they decide to let Tua cook and he's not ready to cook, it could turn ugly really quickly. That's very true. Very true. All right. So let's move on to a division where the ultimate outcome is, shall we say a little more uncertain, Scott? That's one way to put it because it's the NFC least. The NFC least. This is where every team in the division has a plus money price to win. Starting with the Cowboys at plus 155. The Washington football team at plus 200. The Giants, 325. And the Eagles pulling up the caboose at plus 600. I know you're a Cowboys fan. Sorry we had to get both of your teams out of the way on the first day Cowboys win this one Scott I think you have to monitor Dak's injury in preseason because he's already a little bit banged up but of course if he's out you might as well just end the season I do think they'll win the division well Scott they've, they've still got uh, Danucci what are you talking they got about Danucci they got Cooper Rush Garrett Gilbert, Garrett Gilbert? About? you put those three guys together you've got about half a quarterback yeah something like that but anyway looking at the overall uh, situation here. I think the Cowboys should win the division. I just think they're the, more, they're the more talented team in comparison to Washington. The Giants, I think, are not going to do much because I still don't like Daniel Jones, and it feels like half the roster on the Giants is retiring in training camp because every single day they have a new offensive lineman who's retiring. But that offensive line for the Giants is so bad, I just can't get over it. Like The Giants are going to struggle offensively, and that's assuming Barkley can even stay healthy, which is a huge question mark. Galladay's already injured. you got problems for in New York. Philly was rumored to maybe go after Deshaun Watson. I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not, but Philly, you can tell during the offseason they're trying to rebuild, and they kind of have to. I'm not a big Jalen Hurts guy. I think he has upside, but I think we'd agree in college as a quarterback, his issue was downfield passing. And in the NFL, with faster defensive backs, you probably can't afford to get away with that when your arm strength isn't the best. I think he'll struggle. I think that it's a two-horse race for me between the Cowboys and Washington because Washington is a team that's not going to beat themselves. At least last year when they had Alex Smith. Now they have Fitzpatrick, so they might actually beat themselves because he throws a lot of interceptions. But Fitzpatrick's clearly better talent-wise in comparison to Alex Smith right now, which is why Alex Smith retired and Fitzpatrick's getting paid. But Dallas has one of the best offenses in the league when healthy. The team, if the defense isn't atrocious, which I know is a huge question mark, they should end up being competitive. And I think it'll be close, but I'm going to go with Dallas. You? Over, under on number of games Dak plays this year? I'll go with the over. From what I've heard, the arm issue is not serious. I don't know if that's actually true or not, or that's just what they want you to believe. Dak before last year was extremely durable in his entire career before his leg snapped in half. Now, I know, of course, that might lead to other injuries that might nag down the road, but Dak's been pretty healthy his entire career. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But for Washington, I think that they had a really, really impressive performance last year, but I feel like they also came up and surprised a bunch of teams because people didn't think they were going to be good. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Plus, Washington still has the first-place schedule, which is always going to be annoying to deal with. Right. 
I'm going to go with Dallas for that reason. But if Dallas falls apart, that would also not surprise me. You? Yeah, I'm the same way. I think when you look at this team from a talent standpoint, you just you can't get away from the Cowboys. Yeah, the the defense is awful. You know, if you if you put their offense and the Washington defense together, you would have a team that would be just about unbeatable. But it's not the way it works, of course. And Washington, I just don't know how much juice they're going to have on the offensive side of the football. They've got Fitzpatrick, like you mentioned. Yeah, okay. But I, they are weak at the other skill positions. I, I'm, I'm not thrilled with their running back situation with Antonio Gibson. I like Terry McLaurin, but he doesn't have much help at all at the wide well, receiver like position. I like Gibson, but I do question at the end of the year, he kind of started to get worn down by injury. Yeah. I am curious if that's going to happen once again. Yes. McLaurin's great. I'm sure most people can't even name Washington's second receiver on the depth chart because it's not very good. Well, it's Curtis Samuel and he's injured, or it's it's Humphreys, whoever you want to choose. I'm there. sure a lot of people didn't even realize Curtis Samuel went to Washington during the offseason. Right, right, and you know you may not know depending on how he how he deals with the injury though he's out right now. So the thing about Fitzpatrick is that he's good stats wise and he'll win you a couple of games, but he'll also have a couple of games where he'll throw three picks in the first half mm-hmm. and you'll just lose the game immediately. Yep. So if those balance each other out and you think Washington maybe goes eight and nine or nine and eight. I think the Cowboys have the ceiling to win 10 games. Will they? Probably not. But if you're talking about which team do I think has the best chance to have the best record, I think it's Dallas. Yep, I totally I totally agree. I don't see – I just don't see either one of those other teams jumping up and surprising anybody. I can't. The Giants, I wanted to say I liked part of what they did last year, but Daniel Jones still isn't very good. And if your main addition during the offseason is Galladay – and he's already injured, mm-hmm. you got problems. Yeah, because he was hurt most of last year as well. You know, and Philly seems like they're stuck in that horrible place that teams seem to find themselves where they're not quite blowing it up, but they're not really going for it, and they don't have the veteran talent, so they can't. Also, with a brand-new coach and a new system, it's right. going to take at least a year or two before they actually start looking relatively competitive. Yep, it absolutely is. So quick reminder, guys. You are listening to Winners and Winners Radio. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. So, Scott, so much for football. We're going to have to put that back up on the shelf here till tomorrow because it is still baseball season. I know that you know you and I enjoy betting baseball. Well, I know I do. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people out there that, that do enjoy baseball, but I know a lot more football fans. So, we got you, football fans. It's coming, but, you know, we got a few more weeks of baseball. Scott, we got a really light card tomorrow. Just five games on the schedule. Luckily, they are all night-ish games. Um, the Cincinnati-Cleveland game goes at 6-10 Eastern time, but everything else is well under the light. So let's uh, kick it off, Scott. We're going to see if we can actually do every game. How about that? Sounds a lot more intimidating than it actually is. It really does. Every single game on the schedule. Here we go. Uh, Actually, we're only going to do four of them because one of them is going to be our farm play. Yep. So take your time, my friend. Take your time. Talk slow. So looking at the first one, it's going to be between my Yankees and your Royals. Mm. You have Tyone on the mound against Hernandez. You've probably seen Hernandez pitch more than I have. It's pretty good, isn't it? He is, Scott. He's made some major improvements. He was a pretty much a roster filler, uh, you know, just kind of uh, fodder for the minor leagues as a re- as a uh, reliever, five plus ERA at a couple of stops there in the minors. But all of a sudden, he's kind of figured it out. He's got he's upped his velocity on his four seamer from ninety four, topping out at ninety eight. Now he all throws he all throw, also has a sinker that he throws about ninety eight. And he has a couple of tremendous off-speed pitches. It's curveball, strikeout percentage about 37%. His his slider about 48%. So it is a couple of pitches when they start looking for the heat. He can just drop them off the edge of the table. So now, obviously, he's young. He's inexperienced. He's going to make mistakes. But I like this kid. I really do. I just, I just don't like the Royals' offense too much. Scott Benintiende is uh, not going to be playing in this one. Of course, Jorge Soler is plying his trade in Atlanta. So as much as I don't like the Yankees as far as uh, a team to back, 
it's hard to get away from them in this spot. They're the visiting team. I don't know if I want to lay 170. I'd like, I, I, and I don't know if they can. I don't know if this offense can cover the run line. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place here on a side. What do you, what are you going to lean towards? Well, I know the wind's blowing out, which is why you do see a total of nine and a half juice to the over. I don't really care. I like the under. Kansas City, I'm sure you can attest to. Offensively, not very good. Not good. Meanwhile, the Yankees had a very, very talented lineup on paper. Then Rizzo got COVID, and now the offense looks a little bit worse than it did previously. But even with the solid offense, it wasn't like they were doing very well when they were not playing against Baltimore. Against Seattle all weekend long, they didn't really look great. I know they won most of the games, but I would say offensively, they didn't look amazing. I like the under. I think you'll see both teams struggle. Tyone, even though he wasn't as sharp against Baltimore as he was in the month of July, still looked good. Hernandez looks good. I think you'll probably see a low-scoring game. I don't want to say that'll be – I I would say that you'll probably see a couple of home runs because of the wind. But at the end of the day, I see a 5-3 game or so. I'll go with the under. I, I think that's solid. This is a Royals team that even though they broke through yesterday for six runs – They've scored three or less in six of their last eight. Wait, who'd, who'd they face in the game yesterday? The St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah. I'm saying who was pitching for the Cardinals in that game? Oh, God. John Lester. Jeez. Uh, I, I think that should automatically be voided when it comes to talking about recent performances because I think we could hit off John Lester. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> a little bit of a stretch, but he's not very good at this stage in his career. No, as a major league pitcher, John Lester leaves a lot to be desired. As somebody that could probably strike Scott and I out, I think he's fine. But yeah, they they did tee off. So really, and I was it, it really doesn't mean much because there is a boatload of difference between Tyone and John Lester as far as the Royals go, and they've they've scored three or less, like I said, six of their last eight. So I think that there's yep. a solid play there. And taking a look at the other game on the board, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, Chicago Cubs, <laughs> Cubbies. Uh, you had a little false hope there after you traded everybody. You're like, hey, hey, we're not they were not that bad, and then all of a sudden. White Sox come to town, they find out, oh, yeah, yeah, we really are. Kind of like the cartoons where they're just running in the air for a minute till they realize that there's no more ground and they just start falling. That's the way I think that the Cubs are right now. Freddie Peralta goes for the Brewers against Alec Mills. Well, we both, you know that we are both big on Peralta. Yep, big, uh, big Peralta guy, uh, not an Alec Mills guy. I'm not. However, Mills has been very good at home this season. So his home road splits are pretty jarring. Uh, as a whole, I'm not taking the Cubs. The only real argument is if I like the first five under in this spot with these two pitchers because Milwaukee's offense has been better lately. I still think we would agree the offense on paper is still not very good. And Chicago's offense on paper is anything but good yes. at this point. So I'm looking at the first five under. But from a money line perspective, I know it's juicy on Milwaukee. I can't really complain about that because Chicago stinks. Right. Yeah, you're only can, getting 55 cents in value. It's somewhere around minus 115 on the run line. Can I blame Milwaukee for losing two out of three against the best team in the league over the weekend? No. No. No, that was, and that was a great series too, by the way. It was a great series. Those two games they lost were very competitive. So, you know, it happens. You can't win them all, and I think they'll bounce back. Yeah, I agree. Alec Mills is, like I said, Scott, he's, de- he's decent at home. 3-3-2 ERA, 1-2 whip, but... Freddie Peralta, I think, is just superior in all phases. He's he's 225 over the season, 251 on the road, and he's been absolutely dealing lately, 1.12 ERA over his last three. You know, Alec Mills may not uh, crap the bed like a lot of the Cubs starters, but I just don't think between between Peralta and this Cubs offense that they're going to give him much to work with. So I agree. I'm okay with laying the run line there as well. And what else we got? Oh, we've got... Marlins Padres. Uh, we've got the Marlins and uh, the Padres. Zach Thompson goes for Miami. Joe Musgrove goes for the Padres. Padres minus 211, seven and a half. Seven and a half is the number, Scott, because you got the Miami Marlins and they don't score nothing. So what do you got here, my friend? I'm looking at the Padres run line. I know Musgrove I gave a hard time to because he struggled right after the All-Star break. He was great in his last outing. Uh, I think Thompson's decent, doesn't really go any distance, so I think that'll be the concern. But Miami can hit, and the bullpen is okay. I wouldn't say it's amazing by any means. San Diego, I think they'll bounce back and win this game pretty handily. I know that they had a couple of issues against Arizona over the weekend, looked better over the last two days. But I do think you're getting a good price on the run line in comparison to the money line. 
I'll take the run line with San Diego. So could we say you've got Musgrove love, Scott? I guess you could put it that way. You know, Zach Thompson, he's one of these hard luck guys. And, you know, let's be honest, the Marlins have a lot of hard luck pitchers. Really good numbers, good peripherals. He's given up two home runs in 42 and two-thirds innings. But the Marlins just don't win with him on the mound. They're 2-7 and seven in his starts. They've scored just 2.8 runs per game in those nine starts. That's not good because it's even worse than that. One of the games, they actually scored seven. You take that game away. Oh, by the way, he lost that game too. Uh, you take that away. He gives up two point. They, they score 2.2 runs per game in his other eight starts. Mm. I'm just looking at the fact that each of his last uh, four starts, he's gone less than six. Yep. And you can look at it. He's gone five or less in three of those four. So even if he pitches well, if San Diego can force him out by the fifth or by the sixth in this case, I'm fine with dealing with Miami's bullpen for a couple of innings while Musgrove probably goes six or seven. Yeah, Musgrove is is definitely putting some distance on his starts. Uh, all right, let's take a look at the last one there, Scott, and that is going to be the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. Castillo goes for the Reds against Henches, Henkes for Cleveland. Real quick, because we got to do our we got to do our farm thing, man. I can hear the tractor idling now. Who you we got here? I'm going with the Reds' first five run line, just because I hate Cincinnati's bullpen, but Castillo's still very good. Hedges, I'm not a fan of. I'll take the Reds. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm absolutely with you there. I'll I'll play I'll play a full game run line too. It's minus one sixty five. We can catch that run line. Should should be somewhere plus money plus one ten or so. Cincinnati bullpen terrifies me too much. Oh uh, yeah, they're, 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 it's always exciting with the Cincinnati bullpen. All right, Scott. Well, it is that time. We have reached that point in the show. Where you and I put our heads together, well, we actually did it beforehand, but we put our heads together, we come up with the very best play, our favorite play of the day. If you had to bet it all, if you had to go all in on one play, this would be it, Scott. Time to put on those overalls, grab that straw hat, and climb on the John Deere. Get ready to bet the farm! Well, Scott, you know it was a uh, it was a big day for us as we had a bet the farm play for Friday, and uh, how'd we end up doing there, buddy? We had the Oakland A's on the run line, and they won by three runs. How did that happen? Walk off three run home. Oh, that was beautiful. You and I were watching that together, and it was just a fantastic jolt. Speaking of the Miami offense, hey, thanks for Marte. That worked out okay, and that was a bet the farm winner, folks. It was. Trust me. I believe that. I, th- I thought you were going to play. Something. I am. I was. I was waiting for it to load up. Okay. Thank you. Okay, man, that was nailed l- it. Long <laughs> nailed it. All right, Scott. Go quick. What do we got? So for the bet the farm play, we like the White Sox team total over five and a half. White Sox have scored at least eight runs in two of the last three games. Bo Burrows on the mound for Minnesota. Nine innings pitched this season, 11 ERA, two whip. Yet to pitch more than two innings in a single outing, which means we have a bullpen day for the Twins. Bullpens have the fifth highest bullpen ERA in the league. And we think the Twins should probably get shelled once again. White Sox guaranteed nine at bats. White Sox should end with at least six. White Sox team total over five and a half. Yep, absolutely. Take Giolito out of the equation. Don't even have to worry about it. Take the White Sox team total over five and a half. And that's going to do it for this edition of Winners and Winers Radio. Got the week started. We appreciate you guys listening. For myself, for Scott Reichel, for all of us over here at Winners and Winers, thanks very much for being here. Tell your friends, and we look forward to seeing you again tomorrow on Winners and Winers Radio. Take care, everybody.